Hey there, this is Sam Pierovi, founder of Consortium. I want to take a second and thank you for clicking on a link to listen to a podcast you've probably never heard of. And since this is one of our first few episodes, I want to give you a little bit more information on why we're doing this and what the series is going to be about. So as you may or may not know, we are a startup, knee deep in startup mode, and our goal is to bring customization to the forefront of fashion and retail. We believe that customization serves all parties involved because customers get to design exactly what they want. The brands that are creating these products get distribution and retailers don't have to buy massive amounts of inventory. And altogether, this means a much more sustainable retail future for the customers, the brands and the retailers. And we'll get into all that in the series. So as we plod through these episodes, this series is going to be a healthy dose of a few things. We'll talk about customization, of course. We'll talk about the grind of creating a startup and working to bring a new concept you know, to fruition. We'll talk to some parties involved, whether it's the brands, whether it's the retailers, and the challenges they've faced. And trust me, there have been some good and some really bad efforts in the last few years. And finally, we'll even bring in some people that are somewhat irrelevant to what we do, just because it's going to be fun. Because um, custom is fun, and we like to have a lot of fun. If you've ever happened to pop into one of our stores, you'll notice that there's always drinks on hand because, hey, we're having fun. So thanks for being a part of our journey. We're excited to uh, grow with you guys, um, and we're going to move on to the episode. Thank you. Oh wait, one more thing. You probably don't know this, but we just launched an entire new category, custom belts. Consortium and Saintly have partnered together to create a line of fully custom belts that are also interchangeable. And one way you can really support us is just by going and visiting the Kickstarter page where we're offering this. And if you love custom belts, or if you just love belts and want to design one to get it the way you want it, uh, please do make a purchase. If you do purchase two belts, you'll also realize that they're fully interchangeable, meaning you can swap out buckles and belts and get a new style every day to match exactly what you're looking to put out there. So I'm going to give you a link, ask you to click it. And, you know, if you share it, great. If you purchase, great. We just thank you for being a part of the journey. That link is cstm.style forward slash KS podcast. So it's just like the name of the podcast it's cstm.style forward slash ks podcast okay that's the last one thank you on to the episode well first i, I want to thank you guys all for coming i appreciate that we have multiple people from various parts of the retail sector or not or brands or friends who have kind of come together for an event. Um, we have a lot of things going on here, but um, and we're going to get into what that is. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank you guys for coming. Uh, this is uh, Deborah Weinswig and Marie Driscoll of Corsite Research. If you guys don't know, they are like the preeminent consultancy and thought leadership within retail. Did I do that justice? You did that justice. <laughs> <laughs> So um, <clears throat> I'm Sam Peyrovi. I'm the founder of Consortium. Uh, a lot of you have asked me what Consortium is, and I'm going to give you guys slightly longer-winded answer than I gave you earlier. So 
about five years ago, I started a brand called Saintly Bags, which are the weekender bags behind you. We realized pretty quickly that no retailer can sell customization. We were banging our heads on a wall telling them that makes no sense because if you can sell a custom suit, why can't you sell a custom bag? And we pretty quickly learned why that is, is they don't have the logistics in place to handle it. So as we were working our way through, we realized nobody can sell custom watches with John Tarantino of Martinero here. Nobody can sell custom shoes or any of these other brands. So there's about 300 plus brands that focus on customization purely. They're pretty much, as we call it, sitting on an island by themselves. So we said, all right, well, instead of being a single brand, let's go build the retailer for the customization market. And that's what consortium is. So we built an e-commerce platform, and then we said, let's go jump on a retail pop-up tour. We did a month in Vegas, which is where I first met Deborah. That was exactly a year ago at Shop Talk. Then we did a month in Chicago, and then we got to New York, which is where I met Natalie Pava, who is now our CMO. And uh, I mean, a lot has happened in the last five months, but tonight there are three different things going on. First and foremost is a chance for us to launch a podcast with two highly influential people in the retail world and talk about what customization is today and what it is in the future of retail. Secondly, you guys will see this custom belt brand behind you. Uh, this is a product that I have spent months and months trying to find a good brand that does custom belts. It does not exist. So I finally said we'll do it ourselves. I don't love creating in-house brands, but we kind of had to do it. So in about a week, we're launching a Kickstarter with John's help again. Uh, Trip is here, who is partnering with us on a custom art belt line. So you'll see a handful of belts that are splatter painted, which is his. And then another artist that uh, Trip is uh, friendly with, uh, Marco Santini. Um, he is writing the word love in over 40 languages, and we laser etch them into the belts. So it's super, super cool. We also did another program with Trip where a couple months ago, we actually had an event here where he painted an enormous canvas that was like eight by 12 feet long. And that canvas was cut up and turned into the lining of this bag right here. So we won't sell this bag. This is just a showcase piece, but we, love it. we can now put any of Trip's artworks into the lining of the bag. You can send me a picture of your dad's face. Trip will turn it into a sketch, put it on the artwork, put it into the bag. And we've already had customers do that. So that's the second thing is the belts. And the third thing is we are leaving the space this weekend. And the reason we are leaving the space is because we're moving into our next phase. And that next phase is we don't want to be the only retailer that can sell custom goods. We want to be the technology that can enable any retailer to sell custom goods. It allows us to scale much more. It allows us to bring volume to our brands. And it allows us to bring personalized products direct to the consumers who want them. And it also helps the retailer who doesn't need inventory, no capital at risk, no theft, no discounting, no stockroom, no floor space. <clears throat> it's a drastically better retail model, we think, and we're just out there trying to prove it. So we wanted your guys' input on that because we think what we're doing is pretty cool, but... You guys are the people who have been around the retail world far longer than we have. So first and foremost, I'll ask you guys to introduce yourselves and Corsite. So Deborah, I'll let you go first. 
Great. Well, first, we're so honored to be here, and thank you very much, everyone, for coming out on this cold, blistery night in New York City. So, uh, Deborah Weinswig, I've covered the retail industry for more years than I would care to uh, announce here. Uh, I was at Citigroup for 12 years, went to an Israeli tech startup, and then had the honor to start the think tank for Lian Fung. Uh, we spun out about a year ago into CoreSight, and the team, many of whom is with me tonight, uh, thank you, everyone, Matt, Jesse, Stephanie, John, uh, for joining us. And the impetus behind it was this idea that there's so much innovation that's happening in the retail space. How could we help retailers connect with the best in retail tech? And so we've helped build a platform both online and offline uh, to do that. And so we've got an advisory business. Also, we do events. Uh, Stephanie is our head of events. She's here tonight. And thank you for helping make this happen. And we also have a big innovator business where we're helping work with startups and helping them connect to retailers. Marie? Hi, everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name's Marie Driscoll. Um, I have, uh, I had a career on Wall Street as um, an award-winning equity analyst. My focus was on apparel brands and luxury. I led the retail team. Um, I started my own business in 2011. I started teaching as well. So I teach um, on and off at FIT, at LIM, at Parsons, at a, and at Baruch, either teaching fashion or um, equity analysis. I've been working with Deborah as part of the think tank for like four or five years and joined CoreSight last September. Awesome. Okay. So this is openly a you know, audience podcast, so feel free to clap whenever you want, <laughs> boo whenever you want, Yay. just not me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, the first thing I want to do is kind of like talk a little bit about the categories of customization, and I want your guys' opinions on what people really care about, what's fluff, and what's not. So when we look at customization, there's three categories. At the bottom of that is just personalization, which is monogramming, right? Every company can do that. Put your initials on any leather product or bag. Like that, there we go. Carl is wearing a monogram scarf. <laughs> nice. Uh, at the, yeah. At the top end of that spectrum is full bespoke. So you walk in, you design on a piece of paper what you want, somebody makes it. We view that to not be scalable, even though it's very desirable. And the middle is mass customization, which Nike kind of created that category with Nike ID back in 1995. We were talking earlier about how it actually probably was created in other sectors before that. So Marie, why don't you tell me like where you've seen it before and right. then where you guys think people care about it today? So um, I was saying, and I'm, I actually am not the first person I heard say this, um, but probably one of the first places consumers have experienced customization is at Burger King, where they have it your way, right? And that really empowers you to choose what you want. And when people choose what they want, they're willing to pay for what they get. Right? Um, so certainly it's Starbucks, which you're all familiar with. You can have your bespoke beverage, and it's not so much more than a regular cup of coffee. So we see that now transitioning into apparel in a mass way, because as you said, you always could get bespoke. You know, at the high end, you can have a gown designed for you for twenty to $50,000, and suits as well. 
so it's interesting. There's been a lot of fear around 3D printing and this idea that, you know, you can customize at home and it, for any of you who have 3D printers at home uh, for not a lot of money. And so we, we've definitely seen that. We've seen 3D printers in stores. You can make, you know, scarves, sweaters, ties with monograms, et cetera. What we've also talked to a lot of retailers about is how do you kind of make that experience exciting and, you know, kind of create this, you know, in-store personal experience. And so whether it's through robotics or whether it's through, you know, uh, in-store, this in-store capability to do it real time. And it's more one-on-one, but in a way it's mass and can be done at the actual point of sale. We're seeing a lot of interest in footwear. I think it's, you know, there's that market has got some interesting dynamics occurring right now, but real personalization around footwear and this desire for the consumer to express themselves. So that's where we're seeing the greatest interest right now from retailers and brands, and we think that'll continue. So a couple of things I want to tap into right on what you said. So um, who's customization for? And I'm going to ask your guys' opinion of that, but I'm going to tell you what I've seen on the pop-up tour. When we first met in Vegas, which was pop-up month number one, we had a 2,000 square foot store directly on the Venetian casino floor. Uh, The place was a former jewelry store. It was the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And uh, the only thing you knew about it is there's no way a small startup can afford this, which was fact. We got it gifted to us. Depending on the day, between 5,000 to 11,000 people walked by that store. And we were only seeing about 15 people walk in. And you know, we're in Vegas. It's like, oh my God, we're here. We put in all this effort. <laughs> Nobody's walking in. What are we doing? We just decided the only thing we can do is start asking people, why'd you come in or why did you not come in? And the one consistent thing we heard from everybody is, you're on the Vegas casino floor. You're in a former jewelry store. Your product is behind glass. So it's already screaming of high price already. And now you're talking about customization, which everybody knows is not for the everyday person. And we just realized that we were never going to be able to scale as long as everybody thinks customization is for the super rich. So how do we bring that down for the everyday man? Might have not been the best tactic, but my buddy Joe flew out to Vegas and we literally pulled our bar to the front of the store and we started drinking. (laughs) And it worked. People started coming into the store. So what the lesson that it taught us was you have to bring customization down into the price sphere that most people, you know, can afford it at. And whether that's a mentality change or whether it's a actual economic reality, that'll, you know, we'll discover that over the next five years, but uh, it can't be for the super well-heeled. So a lot of these brands, all in sundry, talks about democratizing customization, make the price for the everyday man. Historically, custom brands have been selling their product at five to 10X the premium price. Now these brands are doing it 2X to 3X. So kind of with that in mind, you had mentioned the Chinese consumer. How do you guys see customization playing out in the U.S. versus China? Australia is a really interesting market because a lot of the brands that are propped out of there. But how do you guys see that in different places? Is it different? Is it same? Um, so shoe, Shoes of Prey came from Australia a few years ago. And it, is everyone familiar with Shoes of Prey? Where you could customize your, your footwear. It was for women. Um, and it was they had a partnership with Nordstrom. So they got some visibility. And, you know, at the end of the day, there, some of the, the financial returns, it just didn't make it. But what, what did we learn from that, right? Um, 
I think one of the things we learned was that we think we're creative, we think we know what we want. Once we make what we think we want, it doesn't look right. <laughs> but but I think actually the problem with Shoes of Prey was it took too long to get the product. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was long. Four weeks. No, no, it was six. It was six to eight. Yeah, I think it was too long, and I, I think, it, yeah, no, no, I think, I think that it was, too, we consistently heard it was too long, and so I think that there's also right now this immediate gratification. That's why we're seeing in-store is working incredibly well. We've also seen with more of, I would call them the, let's, you know, the specialty retailers who are getting in, or who are in and have been successful with customization. It's, you know, basically, you know, it, it's normal shipping times. So you're talking, you know, three to five days tops and so I think that there's this idea that the customer wants that they want it in season they want it now and we're seeing we've seen a lot of success and I think from a global perspective this idea that you don't want to look like everybody else and as long as it has to be affordable I just I think this whole idea of e-commerce and what we're seeing in terms of how the consumer is consuming it, it's got to be affordable and this idea you wear it a few times and turn it over but one, one of the benefits of it being affordable is that if you've been part of the creation, you're helping with full price selling. It's not your, your whole assortment is not being dragged down by promotions. Okay, but also in addition, you bring up something super important is this idea of not only full price selling, but that if you're making to order, it's much more sustainable. Right. And I think that that's just I mean, we hear from every retailer that sustainability is for 2019, one of the most important things for them and also for their consumer to the point that the consumer is willing to pay more. But they want to try and make it that that's not the case. So I'm going to ask you guys for a favor, because <clears throat> on my list of things I want to discuss with you guys, sustainability is at the bottom because it's probably the most important. Um, a lot of retailers and a lot of even brands and people in the you know retail environment, they'll talk about it, but they won't do anything about it. So we kind of want to ask you guys, hand in hand with us, kind of hold everybody's feet to the fire. So if they're going to talk about it, we want to push them to actually do it. The reason customization is so great with sustainability is because made-to-order goods don't result in landfills. So... We actually, a couple of days ago, we did all the research on this. 15 billion tons of goods that are produced never even make it to a shelf. They go directly to a landfill. 90 billion tons total, and these are an annual numbers, are what is thrown away by consumers because fast fashion is so disposable to them. They buy a cheap product, it's quick, it gets the job done, get rid of it. Obviously, made-to-order takes care of the first part. The second part is taken care of by the fact that when a customer buys a, custom, a good that they customize and they care about it, they have a relationship with the product. Their, the propensity to just discard it easily is much lower. So point case, we have a custom fragrance brand here. I have not worn fragrance in 20 years. I made one for myself. I like fell in love with it. I put it on every day. Carl? Carl Radke's here. He made one for himself. He went crazy. <laughs> so uh, I think customization is a huge, huge um, enabler of sustainability. And that's one angle that we plan on using to help retailers kind of move into this next model. All right, well, let's take a really quick break and we'll be back.
Well, thanks for that. Back to the episode. Are you guys seeing differences between the U.S. and other markets uh, in demand for customization? Not to my eye. It's like I think the consumer is so global that we are so connected all over the world that if you can't get it in your local market, you can get it someplace else. Now, I think what you have here are smaller niche brands that are made to order. That's right. Um, and if you don't have a presence online, people won't know about you. But if you have a presence online and you're not around the corner, you're, you're just, you know, if you have the ability to fulfill across different countries, people can get it. As much as I love small bespoke brands, I look at the world and I don't just look at startups, I look at big companies. And I see companies like American Eagle Outfitters um, taking their, their um, denim jackets and you can get a, a custom painted jacket that's very much your own. And all you did was pay full price for the jacket. You paid $98. It didn't go down to $49. Um, i am not so sure that that really helps in terms of sustain sustainability, though I do know we see in all the literature, all the stats we see, all the surveys that we do, the consumer cares more and more about sustainability and is willing to pay for brands that are legitimately sustainable, not just marketing it. Well, you actually tap right into one of my other questions. So large versus small brands. Um, We have our own thesis on this, and I'm not even going to put it out there yet because I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. So a company like Nike ID or Ray-Ban, who does a program called Remix, or Kate Spade, Ferragamo, Longchamp, all these companies that are doing customization, in contrast to the boutique brands that you see here, and in the middle kind of is probably your Timbuktu's and your Shoes of Prey. What do you think the motives are for the bigger brands and then for the smaller brands? And are they all ultimately reaching the same objective? I mean, I think the motive is, at the end of the day, is you want to have a beautiful product that the consumer cares about. And I think the motive is the same, no matter if you're small, big, in the middle, right? And so if you want to have a product that the customer puts on Instagram and tells everybody about or, you know, whatever social media um, that you're, you're utilizing that day... I think that that's how you're driving and you're telling a story, right? I mean, you know, from, you know, the cotton fields to how it got into the store and, and this, that, and the other. I mean, I think the this, this storytelling piece of it and, and, you know, how you're carrying it with you and how you treasure it, that's so important these days. And that's that story that you're going to share with others. I think that will, you know, inspire them to build the brand, you know, buy the brand. And also that's how you're going to build your brand. And so I think that there's this inspiration piece and I think this whole idea that your, you know, brands these days feel this almost privilege to serve the customer. And sometimes that happens more, I think, with the boutique brand and so how they treat their customers. But we're starting to see that, I think, migrate up into larger brands in this current retail environment. In a catch-up effort? It's, it's like you brands today, like you want to create an experience right? In-store experiences. You can create an in-store experience if your customer is choosing product and choosing personalization, right? So you're creating um, an experience. The consumer is involved in the creative process. They're really putting themselves out there in a different way. And it certainly helps with full price selling for the retailer. 
And then it's creating brand loyalty. It's creating, it can create a brand advocate. And to Deborah's point, it's like, you're going to talk about this to your friends. Look at what I made. Isn't this fabulous? You're gonna talk about it, you're gonna post it, and it's gonna be an expression of you. And then it engages you that much more with the brand, and that's what brands want. So I'll, I'll tack back to kind of what our thesis around that was. Um, a lot of the boutique brands, and I want to hear your guys' opinion, whether you think I'm wrong or right. I definitely want to hear it. But um, a lot of the boutique brands, you know, they started as custom only because it was a way to avoid inventory and avoid having to start a brand with a lot of capital. On the flip side, the larger brands, for them, it's a marketing channel. It's not a revenue channel. So it's a way for them to say, we are personal with you. You tell us what you want and we'll create it. But it's a fraction of what they really care about. So the interesting part is the brands that are in the middle, which is your Timbuktu's and your Shoes of Prey. A lot of people ask us, why wouldn't the larger brands just create their own platform and go direct into the store? There's a whole logistics reason why they can't. They could if they wanted to sink the money. That's not a problem. But more importantly, it's because if a brand like Nike creates a full Nike ID type platform and they push it, ultimately they're reaching their own consumer. It's the consumers they've already built that already have interest and they're wasting marketing dollars on acquiring customers they already have. doesn't make sense. Alternatively, if you work through a larger platform that is acquiring customization-centric consumers, we can help them acquire new customers that don't care. So Puma is not doing customization. We can work with Puma to say, you want to compete with Nike? Reach your customers through us, people that care about customization. They'll come to you, and then you can acquire them for your wholesale and your e-commerce product also. So what I think is that any brand or retailer that doesn't care about their consumer is not going to be in business for so long. If a brand or a retailer isn't authentically caring about the consumer, and yes, you have to make business decisions and you're not going to meet every consumer's needs, but that's what I think we've seen. Like how many brands and retailers have blown up in the last 10 years because they didn't care? <laughs> you, like, do we, a lot. I can't wait to hear this. No, it's like... It, there's been so, that's been part of the disruption that we've seen in retail. There's new choices, there's different choices. If you don't care about your consumer, you're toast. I mean, I said earlier, you have to treat the customer like, you know, there's this whole privilege to serve them. And I think that that's how you're winning. And it doesn't matter if you're big or small. I don't think size matters. I mean, I know there's this whole idea of scale, but I think it's, you know, you can figure out how to make the margin work. It's, I, I do agree that, you know, less markdowns obviously helps as well. And if it's, that's through customization or that's through great inventory planning, you know, bo both of them will get you to the, the same end result and probably a mixture of both because the consumer also wants, you know, other things that aren't just customized, right? I mean, there, there are basics, so it has to be a mixture of both. Sure. Oh, for the audience or for this? Oh, for the audience. Okay, sorry. Podcast is good. Sorry, we care about our audience. Yeah. Um,
I'm going to ask just a couple more questions, and then I want you guys to kind of get involved. But um, actually, let's do it the other way. I want to ask you guys, let you guys ask questions, because it's probably going to invoke a couple of things. So who has a question in the audience? Carl. Carl. <laughs> so this is a Burberry scarf. It's customized. Burberry scarf bar, their program. Like, at what point does a brand just focus on like marketing that they are about custom, which is like marketing to Burberry and like, oh, you guys have custom. I feel like a lot of brands don't just market themselves, being custom first and then whatever the hell else you want next. So why don't brands focus on just sustainability, custom? So it sounds like they're focused on other things. Well, I think... Um, for people that knew Burberry, they they definitely marketed that scarf. That's like 2014, right? I mean, they've... Yeah, it's like... Ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Radke, one of the many. <laughs> no, you know. Carl, yeah. please attend every future podcast. <laughs> One thing that you talked about before was like, should you waste your marketing dollars um, acquiring new customers versus keeping the ones you have? And like, there's, you really should be doing both. And key, and. A lot of the people that were brand advocates or that when knew about Burberry, and it's the same with Nike. Um, people, people knew about Nike ID, and people who are brand advocates for Nike, they're they are going into the innovation store and they're personalizing their um, sneakers. I think it's all around what we've seen from a personalization perspective. If you can make it an event in the store, if you can make it exciting, if you engage the customers, I think that's incredibly important right now. And so if, you know, if you can do that, if you can accomplish that, and if personalization is one aspect of what you do, but I also think that in your case, for example, it was a gift. And I think the gift aspect is super important. But you, you don't pull up like a Vogue magazine and see like customization for a Right, right. Why don't you market just like over Burberry, like if you come in the store, then we'll but, but be, you know, like an ad saying, right. that's what we do. Well, it is on, it was online. And, and like, like, like high fashion, right. like magazines and all that. Right. I guess I have a related question to this, which is how much of customization is about consumers wanting the customization versus brands wanting brand identity to be connected to their consumer? Like which direction does it come from? So uh, for luxury brands, they, are, they, were, they have not been willing to release the freedom of painting on the back of a, of a um, jacket. jacket, yeah, of a denim jacket. Like Burberry gave you a selected um, choices for the colors, and, and it, was con it was scripted. It was tight. Um, and yeah, you can't lose your brand identity over personalization. I think that's an incredibly important question, and so I, I think it has to be a careful mix. And I'll... I do think there's this important aspect of controlling it in the store and becoming known for what you're personalizing. So like a scarf, a jacket, et cetera, a pair of you know, footwear. And I think keeping it somewhat, I mean, we've advised a lot of people on handbags, right? With you know, how you do your grommets, et cetera. But I think it's this idea of keeping it narrow and tight. Yeah. If you were to go into Coach, you could see there's like a bar in a number of the stores where you can personalize it. But it's within, it's brand appropriate. That's what it comes down to. 
And, but, so they are doing what the consumer wants, but on their terms. Rich. So are, are you seeing brands that you Wait, Rich, before you say anything, I'm going to introduce you. This question is coming from Rich Zein of A Custom Clothiers. So these guys are across the street from us. Uh, we've become very friendly with them. We're going to go to Turkey with them and hang out. I don't know if it's going to be business or just hang out, but whatever. We'll see. But Rich. <laughs> Um, do you want to ask your question into the mic, please? Do you see brands sticking to customization as far as design detail, or do you see them moving into fit uh, personalization? And in fit customization, how do you see them handling the uh, return aspect of the, uh, you know, if, if you make it personal to their fit and they don't like it, how, how do you see them handling the returns? So what we're seeing is still most of the fit technology is still out of Israel. And obviously, fit is usually the number one uh, concern for consumers. And it goes across the entire size spectrum. So I do think fit is incredibly important. Yes, they take back things that are monogrammed. They take back things that are specially sized because you know retailers have to serve the customer. Number two, I do think that this idea of kind of, if you will, look over fit we're still seeing much more about, you know, kind of personalization and customization of the design over fit. But I do think that fit is so increasingly important to the customer, especially as we're seeing, you know, an increase in terms of shapes and sizes of people. How do you see them handling the returns? So if they do custom fit, obviously it doesn't fit there, especially if you go online. So if I get a custom fit, it comes to me, it doesn't fit me, I return it. What do, you, what do they do with it? They have to trash it or you know you can't really resell it so we're so it goes counterintuitive to we're seeing a lot of recycling so we're seeing a lot of recycling happen when it doesn't fit so in some cases the garments are uh dismembered if you will and then put back together where they can especially if you're going from larger to smaller but we are we're, we're very much in a world right now of recycling and reusing it's it, you know i i understand this whole idea of landfills but we're we're I would tell you that for 2019, we're very much about sustainability and we're seeing, right, like clothing turned into paper. I mean, there's, you know, I've met with many different retailers and in many boardrooms, this is really at the top of their list. And I think that we're, you know, and you have to serve the customer. If you make a custom garment for them, you have to take it back. It's, 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 you've got to be able to serve them the way they want to be served. I'll add to that. Um, so as the retailer for, custom apparel and custom brands. We've seen a lot of brands who, actually of the 13 brands we here, we have here, I wanna say about six of them require fit sizing. Um, so every brand we bring onto our platform, we pretty much have a requirement that if it doesn't fit when they get it, that there is a remake. And the reason the brands do the remake is because they say, when I do a remake on a first product, I'm gonna lose my margin I'm going to be either at a break even or possibly even a loss. But now I have a customer who says, I have that fit. And now you're going to get the repeat business. So there's a hopeful aspect to that, that you're going to get that repeat business. But one of the biggest trends we've seen in our year-long pop-up tour is that outlier size customers are the biggest demographic that love customization, right? Small, big, whatever it may be. If you can't find a pair of jeans, lingerie, shirts, shoes, whatever, to fit you, you're going to come here and you're going to buy a product. And then you're going to say, it didn't fit. I'll get a remake. Great. Now I'm in the system. 
lock and low. Let's do three more. But I, I think there is this idea there is no average size. And so, you know, everyone's like, you know, it, I, I'm, and so I think that that's inc- what you said is incredibly important. And, you know, we, we all want something that fits right because nothing ever fits right. And so that's where I do think customization comes it's so important. And I do think if you remake something for somebody that you do have a customer for life because right, you know, you have a good experience. I mean, people are going to share that. And that I think is really, I mean, probably one of the most important things that we're talking about here today is, you know, how do you, how do you really win these customers? But also, right, because customers migrate so much now, but this I think is where you probably win them and have them for a much longer period of time. And they talk about it. And they, they talk about the experience that you, you treated them well. And then to your point, um, the off sizes, that customer is not finding their size. Like Deborah and I don't have that much of a problem. A lot, most of us in this room don't have that much of a problem finding our sizes. But when you do, if, when you find something that fits you, you're loyal. Right? I mean, that kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. And you have yeah. a relationship with the yeah. brand that enabled mm-hmm. it. I actually want to hear what CoreSide is looking to do over the next few months and year. Like, where do you guys go from here? What's the plan? We already told you guys about us. So one of the, our key focuses is helping uh, U.S. and European retailers go to China. And there's a significant opportunity there in customization, in personalization, and looking at, you know, kind of new opportunities and new customers. And so whether that's working with, you know, Tmall or JD or Little Red Book, you know, there's many platforms there and many opportunities. And I think you have a customer who's incredibly interested in new brands and this whole idea of discovery. And so we're seeing that as a significant opportunity. And why we're really, that's really in the next few months is because everyone's getting ready for double eleven. And there is a whole kind of, you know, if you will, almost formula. And it does take time to, to get ready for that. What am I working on? Um, sorry, the vertical that I'm looking at is luxury and fashion. And we're looking at the Chinese consumer. We're looking at what's happening w- with sustainability. That's really important. We look at plus sizes and we see that that customer is very loyal. Um, and there's m- that market is much bigger than it appears. Um, and they're underserved. They want more clothing. They want fashionable clothing. And we, we think that um, we'll be working with brands and helping them bring on extended sizes. And I think personalization. I think you'll see more personalization. Mm-hmm. And the one last thing I want to close out with is we're, we did this significant event last year uh, called Trailblazers, and we looked at inclusive design. So it was this idea of extended sizes, but also adaptive. And so that market as a whole, you know, we've sized at about $100 billion. It's a significant opportunity, and that's a lot of that is customized. And so there's a, right, I mean, this is where retail always says, oh, you know, it's a tough market, but there's a lot of pockets of opportunity. You just have to look for them. And I think that's what you've done. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, um, Thanks. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. Marie Driscoll and Deborah Weinswig. Appreciate you guys coming.